we come to you tonight with excitement because that's true. That's really true. All is well with our soul. No matter what happens to this body, no matter what's happening in the world, no matter what our something is that's really hard to get through the day with, when we know all is well with our soul, and that's all possible because of you, it's all possible because of Jesus, it's all possible because of your unconditional love, it's possible because of your undeserved favor. We did nothing to deserve it. Lord, as we come before you tonight, may we visualize that cross. May we know that it's that cross that, that bought us back, that redeemed us, that saved us from sin and self and hell and judgment. Father, may, we, may our lives live like we are grateful. Lord, we know tonight that there are many who are suffering greatly. I can't help but thinking of Jack and Mary DeWitt tonight, and we just pray for them and their family. Father, we know that you will be there every step of the way. You are present through it all. Or may we learn that tonight as we go into Jacob and we see him wrestle and we wrestle with you because we want our own way so bad. But if we would just be more like Fanny, if we just would say perfect submission, you are God, I am not. You know what's best because you are perfect. So may we learn. That's why we're here tonight and all summer, why we're doing this, because we need to build this faith. We need to build this belief, and we need to commit to it. We need to trust that whatever happens, you are God, and you are sovereign, and you reign, and you are intimate. You know each and every one of us. You know what we have to go through to get where we need to be. You have us all on a mission. And the ultimate goal is that we will then be like you someday. But until then, may we so let your spirit come and take over our hearts so that we can live out a savior that we can live what we believe, that we can put faith into a whole package and then find all what you can do in, through us. Father, we commit this night to you. We pray for those who are hurting, for those who, who have a request tonight that you know is unspoken to us, but you know what it is. Father, those who um, are, are just... Maybe they're floundering. Maybe we have wayward children. Maybe whatever it is, whatever's weighing heavy on our heart, you know what it is, Lord. May we tonight get a little bit closer to you so that we dare surrender perfectly to you and trust the way you work. And we will truly give you praise and glory for how you're going to take these people from your word and show us through example You've given us everything we need in this book. No wonder you want us to be in it and learning from it. 
and we will give you praise and glory for all that you are going to do tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, open up your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. You are really going to need your Bibles open tonight, and you're going to have to concentrate. You are going to be, you're going to be paging quickly, but we're going to start with Hebrews 11 because that's our theme chapter. Now, faith is being sure. Now, if you're sure of something, that's why sure is such a great big word, because if you're sure of something, you don't have any what? Doubt. No doubt. If you're sure of something, that's why it's called blessed assurance, because you don't have any doubt. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. You have no doubt about that. You believe the story. You believe the gospel. Faith is being sure of it. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. So faith is just, I know we're just going to repeat this a little. We're going to go over this just to make sure because this is the theme of our whole study this summer. We want faith. We want to live by faith. We want, we want to say it's so sweet to trust Jesus when we don't even understand it. We're sure of him. We're not sure of our circumstances, but by crackly, we're sure of him. That's a great way to get up in the morning. That's a great way to live out the day. It's every day is full of questions. Every day is full of surprises. And to be able to be sure, to be certain, and to have hope, even when you don't understand or can't even see the outcome, just to have that kind of confidence and that assurance that he loves you so much and that he has got you in a plan and on a mission to get that plan accomplished. So faith, not worrying, not frantic, not panic, but you're free of that so that you can just trust that he's on the throne. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made, made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him, for before he was taken, he had his testimony that he pleased God. And last month when we talked about Abel and we talked about Enoch, we said that Enoch walked with God. And what, what, does, um, what, what does walking with God mean? Well, before, before, I guess you have to start from the beginning and, and walking with God, the first step of if you really desire to walk with God, because that really is something that not only sounds good, but you know it's definitely he's going to take you into the right destination when you walk with God through life. 
Number one, the first step is that you have to know him as your personal savior. And, you know, some people might, might kind of laugh at that, but you'd be surprised how many church people don't realize that that's something personal that everyone has to do on their own. And we're going to see tonight that it is not passed down, even though you might have the best parents or whatever. You come to know Jesus on your own. People might have been in your life and have helped you along the way and have kind of led you to him, but only you can decide whether he is your savior. Only you can take that walk to Calvary. So if you want to walk with God, that's the first step. Another step of walking with God is that you have to listen to him you have to listen to him because once you accept Jesus as your savior, then you, your heart then starts changing because at the cross you receive his spirit and his spirit is going to keep reminding you that you need to listen to the Lord, not the world. And you'd be surprised how easy it is to listen to the world and to own your own self and your own desires. But to walk with God, you need to listen to him. Noah, Noah walked with God. Do you think he'd be able to, like we said last month, do you think he would have been able to stay building that, that ark without listening to God and, and then trusting that God was who he was and that God did do what he said? And that's why these men have been such great examples for us. But Enoch and Noah, they walked with God, and this enabled them to do the impossible. And sometimes getting through life is impossible. But when you walk with God, he is reassuring you all the time that he's there. Just trust him. So walking with God first means accepting Jesus as your Savior. Number two is desiring to listen to him. And how do you listen to him? Well, here it is. Here's the book that he talks. It's called The Word. <laughs> Those are his words talking to you. So if you really want to walk with God, it would, it would just make common sense to me that you would want to listen to what he has to say because then and only then are you going to know where to follow where to go, who to follow, what to do next. You need to listen to him. You need to read his word, and then you will be able to have a sense through his spirit what he's trying to say to you and what direction to go. That's walking. That's how to take the next step with him. It's not that hard to understand. It's hard to do because self still keeps wanting to get in the way. So here we, here we go. I mean, walk with God. If you want to be an Abel, if you want to be an Enoch, if you want to be a Noah, if you, if you want to see, hear and, and see how their testimony, and, and tonight, the men of tonight, and even the women, you can, you can tell the, that they're walking with God because they've chosen to make him theirs, and they decided to listen to him and not the world, and they chose to trust him because he does what he says. That's taking a step-by-step -step walk. That's walking with God. And then, but without faith... Without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
Remember last month we said faith was a two-parter? It's believing, yes, it is believing, but even the demons believe. So the second part of faith is committing to it. You believe that the gospel is true. You believe that Jesus is real. You believe the cross happened. You believe your sins have been forgiven. You believe that his blood cleanses you. Jesus paid it all. You believe that. But the second part of faith is the action part. You commit to it. Your life changes. If you really believe it, you can't possibly stay the same. So faith is belief, but it's also committing and to putting it into action. You believe that God exists. You believe that he loves you. You believe that he sent his son to save you. You believe all of the details of the gospel. You believe it. But then if it really does mean anything to you, faith changes you. You commit to it. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So that's how important this, this word is. This action word, how important it is, because if you really want to please God after all what he's done for you, then he said, you can please him when you dare live by faith. For it is, it is, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of all things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Okay, now tonight's lesson. By faith, he by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Some of these, some of these, um, well, these people right here that we're talking about, they never did actually see what God promised. They just kept walking. They just kept walking with God, and they, they didn't even have to see the finished product. They were the ones that started it, and they just kept walking, and they just kept handing it down, and the walk continued. The journey continued until, voila, Jesus came. But that's quite something to be able to live completely by faith. Even though they were never going to actually see it, but they were going to keep it going. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called, called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered by Isaac, and he who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom he was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. How beautiful for the writer of Hebrews to, to just kind of to insert the way Abraham was to Isaac, so God the Father was to Jesus, willing to give him. By faith, Isaac, oh, excuse me, um, and concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. That's the story so far that we're, we're, we're up to. So now turn to Genesis chapter 12. What'd you think of your assignment, Genesis 12 to 50? Yeah, well, I, you had a whole month, so, you know. But we're going to take it tonight. We're just going to follow these, these patriarchs and Joseph. We're going to follow these and if by chance any of you tonight, you don't have a, a follow sheet of, of what to do for next month, I have some up here, so feel free to get one later. But anyway, Genesis chapter 12, and the story goes like this. The world was created perfect. It didn't take long before Genesis 3 hit and the world fell apart. We saw how there was Abel and there was Cain. So we saw right from the start, we saw this is what it looks like when, when you are righteous before God, when you put your trust in him. And this is what it looks like when you put your, put your own self in control and you don't want anyone to tell you what to do, even though you need to be told so badly. And then we watched how it's like, it's just like um, God started all over when we saw the genealogy again in Genesis chapter 5 where, where it says here's the genealogy of Adam. It's like Cain was kind of put out of the picture and then Seth was now going to carry. Because see, we needed a line. We needed a line to get Jesus here. And then we saw, you know, we saw the different figures happen and come to be. But then in Genesis chapter 12, we see how God intended to start a family. A family that was eventually going to be called Israelites. They were going to start as, as a group of people. And it was going to start actually with just a man and a woman and but a promise, and God gave him a promise. He gave him one command, but he gave him eight promises. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. If you read that too quickly, you're not going to see how that is not easy to do. God is saying, I want you to leave what's familiar, I want you to leave what's comfortable, and I want you to go. And then he says, here comes the promises. I want you to get up and I want you to leave what's comfortable and I want you to leave your country. But then this is what I will do. I will show you. I will show you. I will. And I, 
I underlined, I will, every time. Because when you hear God say, I will, what can you count on? He will. I mean, you can't, you can't do that with, with any human being. I mean, they might intend and they might have all good, you know, they, might, they really might mean well, but when God says, I will, so he says to Abram, I will show you. Because I think Abraham said, um, well, where, where, do you, where are you going to take me? And he says, I'll show you. <laughs> That's not a lot of information. This is what faith is. It's deciding to say, you know what? Um, I'm going to put my surety, my certainty, my hope, and my assurance. I'm going to put all of that, my confidence, and I'm just going to trust God's up to something. And so God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Um, you know... I don't hear anything about, um, yeah, but this doesn't make sense. Um, I better talk to Sarah about this. I better, I better um, you know, you better give me a few more details. I need a little more information. Um, I don't hear any of that. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken. That's what faith is. And I think that's what's very convicting, at least to me. Because when I think I have faith, could I just do that? Faith is just totally believing when God says something, you do it. And then down to verse um, 7, he said, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Do your descendants, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he will build, and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent. And he called on the name of the Lord. And I hope that that's an underline in your Bible. I hope you underline that because, see, to walk by faith, to walk with God, to know that faith pleases God, this is, the, this is how you do it. You call on the name of the Lord. You call on him. You know you need help. So Abram journeyed. Okay, now, chapter 13 Chapter 13, you know, they have traveled and now their flocks have grown and Lot's flocks have grown. And now, verse 7, there's a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And so this is how you handle when trouble, when, when obstacles, when, when difficult people. Maybe you don't have any in your life. Maybe, maybe you've just been kept, kept free of any, any people that are difficult in your life. I'm pushing the sarcastic button on that because I would dare say we all have difficult people in our lives and so we all need this lesson. How do we get along with difficult people? It's so easy to, you know, because, I mean, have you ever said this? Well, it's just not fair. I mean, that we just think, we almost think that that's scriptural. But that's the opposite of scriptural. Because God never said that life was going to be fair and he never promised that we were going to be comfortable and happy and get our way. And I think the sooner we learn that lesson, the quicker 
we are going to be opening ourselves up to perfect submission. Because he never intended for us to always be happy and comfortable. In fact, he says, I know that it's not even good for you to be comfortable and happy all the time. So there's going to be strife. That's just the way it is. Once sin comes into the world and human beings and self starts taking over, and boy, Lot really had self taken over. And so now there's a, there's a lot of obstacles going on here and strife between the two herdsmen. And so Abraham said to Lot, verse 8, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is it not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. When you are walking by faith, when you are trusting in a God who has promised to lead you because he promised in those, in those eight promises, he said, I will be with you. I will lead and guide. And if you really believe that, then you don't have to fight and you don't have to defend. He, he just says, lot pick it. Whatever, you pick whatever you want. And so, of course, Lot, you can see where his heart was. Oh, man, I want the biggest and the best and the greenest and everything. He never thought about checking to see what kind of town he was going to do. So in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the Trees of, of Merah, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. What does that sound like to you? Content. The Lord encouraged him and said, hey, you know what? Lot might have picked that land, but I'll tell you what. Just look out in any direction you want and know that all of this will be to your descendants. Now, I'm sure as you read the story, was Abraham, because right now, do you think, boy, Abraham, man, there's no way. I mean, he is perfect. But if you read all the chapters, did you find, is Abraham perfect? Not even close. And the reason why, even though, and when you read in Hebrews 11, I think we mentioned that last month too, and I'm going to repeat it again. When you read about these wonderful people that live by faith and their names are included in that, and oh, it's just, oh, you talk about heavenly witnesses. I mean, this is a great group of people. Yep, every one of them made horrendous mistakes. But did Hebrews 11, is there, are there mistakes in there? No. Because whenever a mistake is confessed and repented of, he forgives and he remembers them no more. So even though when you read this chapters of Genesis, you read that Abraham was far from perfect. But yet I think the reason why we see his mistakes, even though the Lord doesn't hold them against him, but we can learn from them because look what, how, look what Abraham is able to do when he walks by faith. 
I mean, you're going to see, you know, he's able to leave what's comfortable. He's able to leave, you know, at that part of his age where now things are supposed to be a little more easy. And no, God says, I want you to go. And he just goes without question. And then, of course, the ultimate test is with Isaac later on. But you think, man, I... Abraham, this is really what walking by faith looks like. You're able to do what you know you can't do on your own. But when you step aside, when you step aside from that walking with God and you just start walking with yourself, then you find how frail and how easy it is to fall into those traps. And boy, did he ever. I mean, we know this story so well. Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And, and, and Sarah thought she was going to help God out. And, and yet, did they ever stop? Did Abraham ever say, no, Sarah, we have to ask God about this. And I, I don't think this is what he said. Let's go to him. And no, he's out of the tent. But look what, the, look what happens Look at the consequences. There's always consequences to disobedience when you step out of the walk with God. Because see, there's only two paths. That's why this isn't that hard. You're either walking with God or you're walking with you. There's either Cain or there's Abel. I mean, that's why so often there's Jacob and there's Esau. I think there's, the way scripture is written is just to show us this is what it looks like. You got, you got one of two choices here. And when you walk by faith, when you walk with God, that's why walking with God, like Enoch and Noah, we should want that because look, look what it enables them to do. And Abraham as well when he walks with God. If you read this story about Lot, did, did you, does sin just get almost to the point of taking your breath away and becoming so almost gross that you can hardly read it? When you think of how low Lot stooped, when you, when you look at the story of Lot, you will notice that, that this was sin is a progressive thing. You know, he started out on the outskirts of the city. And then you read about, oh, then he's in the inside of the city. And then before you know it, he's at the city gate. He's mayor of the town. I don't know that, but I think that's the way it went. I know that he sat at the city gates, and only leaders of the city did that, so I'm pretty sure that he obtained a position. So the, the more that you just let sin take over, and then to be able to, to um, say what he did to these men outside when they were trying to break in, and then what his daughters did to him, oh, man, it's... This is so double X-rated. But this is what sin looks like. Because I believe that Lot, I mean, he came with Abraham and Sarah when they left to start this journey. But if you, are, if you don't keep your walk with God sure, if you don't keep working at it, the pull of this world and all of its temptations and its luring, because sin is it's fun, and it looks so appetizing because it appeals to your own self, and before you know it, you're, you're lot. And your life can get so dark, and the results are so horrible. 
It's worth, it's worth a read, let me tell you, because I think this is why Genesis is such a great book of showing the difference about walking with God or walking with yourself. So we then see the story of Isaac and um, being born, and, and of course we all, we all know that story, but just turn to the 22nd chapter because this Verse 7, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Chapter 22, verse 8. Then, there, then they came to the place in which, which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and he laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay him, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the, on the lad or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Hmm. Then when Sarah died, verse in chapter 23, Sarah died, and Sarah was very, of course, you know, she was very precious to Abraham. But look how this is what walking by faith does. Abraham said this, he went, he went to the people of the land of Canaan, verse 4, verse chapter 23, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you, give me a property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. What did this man believe? That this land was eventually going to be the land that was promised. So much so that he, even though he knew that he had to keep going, he knew that he was going to bury his beloved Sarah there. Now, he never got to see the fullness of this. I mean, now, you know, we need the 40 years in the desert. We need the Moses. We need all of this kind of thing. But right now, all he does is says, I believe that that's all going to happen because God said, and he shows it by bearing Sarah there. Chapter 24. Abraham is now old. He's old. And so he wants to have a, a wife for Isaac. And so um, Isaac is 40 years old, 40, 40. And so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had. He said, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the Lord God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of Canaanites of whom I dwell. Boy, he was really emphatic with, with his servant, wasn't he? You, you have to go. I often wondered, how come, how come he didn't let Isaac pick his own? Why did he entrust this job to his oldest servant who had been with him longer than Isaac could even imagine? I don't think he quite trusted Isaac here, and so he said, I want, 
I want you, Eliezer, what's his name? I want you to go, and I want you to find a wife. And Because you know what? Those Canaanite women, they could be drop-dead gorgeous, or they could be very enticing. And my son Isaac, he might be a real sucker to them. And so I just want to make sure that you go and you find a woman for him, but not from the, not from the Canaanites. You shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son. And you know, I went and found that verse. I thought, oh, I know. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Paul wrote this, that do not, do not be unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul is very clear about do not yoke yourself with an unbeliever. And yoking yourself means tied to. That doesn't mean that we don't have friends, but he's saying don't yoke yourself because he goes on to explain, Paul does, when I was reading that verse. He said, what do you have in common? You're both going on different paths. Because there are only two. And an unbeliever is obviously going, going, going down his own path, the path of self, and, and a believer is going to be walking with God. And they're in totally different directions. So Paul is saying pretty much, doesn't make any sense to be yoked with an unbeliever because you're never going to come to the same destination. And what kind of relationship is that? Now, that was quite a job, wasn't it, for a servant to go to uh, and, then, and, and pick a wife for the one son that Abraham had the, the son of promise. I know he had Ishmael, but, but Ishmael was gone and, and he was going to have his own descendants and all that story goes. But, but Isaac was the promised one and that is major to pick a wife for him. Oh, I love that Eliezer. He, you talk about another, now he's, he's not a real big figure here, but he's walking with God. Because when you have a decision to make, when you've got a, a, almost like an impossible task before you, big responsibility ahead of you, look what he does in verse 12, chapter 24. Then he said, oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well. And the daughters of the, of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, that she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking, and behold, here comes Rebecca. What does this say? If you don't know what to do or, or where to go and your hands have flown up at all, what does Eliezer teach us here? What does walk up by faith? If you don't know what to do, what does, he, what does he tell you to do? Ask him. Go to him and ask him. And, and what do we know from the Old Testament that if you really want to know, if you really seek, what does, he, what does Jesus promise when he said those words? If you really seek, and I can tell if you really do or not, so don't play games with me. But if I see that you really seek, what does he promise? That you will find. 
What is the smartest man in all the world when he asks, when God said, I'll give you anything you want? And he said, I want wisdom because, boy, I'm going to need it to raise this bunch of people. When Solomon, when we studied Proverbs all last year, what a, what a, what a book of wisdom. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I mean, here's what the smartest man in all the world who was given wisdom by the one and only God said, if you trust the Lord with all your heart and you don't lean to your own understanding, which is so easy and what you want to do, in all your ways, you keep acknowledging him and keep asking him, just like Eliezer did. What does he promise? He'll direct your paths. He'll make your paths straight. He wants he, he can't wait to give you what he promised. If you really want his will, he can't wait to give it to you. Now, we know that the story goes on, and, and then it says in verse 58 of chapter 24, and they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Wow, I will go. Verse 63, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. The last of that chapter says, and Rebekah became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I think the loss of his mama, I think it threw Isaac for a loop, and Abraham knew it. And so he did not trust um, Isaac's emotions, but he did trust Eliezer because Eliezer walked with God, and Eliezer wanted what God wanted because that's what Abraham told him. I want what God wants. And so Eliezer went to him and asked Look how this all happens now. This woman is able to never replace Sarah, but yet they'll start a whole nother part of the story. Abraham now gives it to Isaac. It's like you pass the mantle on. Now, chapter 26, God tells Isaac, in verse 4, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and to your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. So Isaac dwelt there. He did what God said. Abraham passed this, this down to Isaac, and now Isaac is listening to the same promise that God said, I gave this to your dad, and now I'm handing it to you. And basically, what is God expecting from Isaac? Now, you take this baton, and you run with it, just like your dad did. Just the way I commanded him, I'm commanding you. Now, the thing is, as you read the story, was Isaac perfect? Oh, my goodness, no. Remember when we were singing, I said, this whole lesson tonight is about grace. <laughs> you talk about undeserved favor in every one of those lives, because you know what? God could have said to every one of them, you know what? That's it. You don't listen. You don't obey me. So then you, you know, we, we know that, um, you know, Isaac, he, he truly does take on his father's um, 
good news him, the promise. He takes on the belief of God. And, and when, he, when he is in, well, when he, um, has, the, when he has the his two sons, You see him um, then start to waver. When he was walking by faith, he was able to, to work with that king Abimelech in the previous chapters in, in chapter 26, and he was able to do that whole well story if you read it. I, I don't want to take the time to go into it, but the thing that I, I really appreciated was in chapter 26, in, in chapter 26, verse 27, and Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Oh, I underlined that because worldly people. Remember the story in, the, in Acts when, um, with Peter and John where it, where it says that they could see that they had been with Jesus? To me, those little lines tell me that when you are walking with God, it's noticeable. The way you handle your life, the way you handle your attitudes, the way you handle difficult people, the way you handle the world. Because right there, it said in that chapter, the world, the pagan people of the day, that they were trying to... Um, you know, work Isaac with these walls and get him mad and get him angry and, you know. And yet they could see the way he handled things. We can tell the Lord is with you. So Isaac too, I mean, he really took on the baton. But then when he had his two boys, you can see that he started to waver. And then you see the favorites. You see Isaac taking Esau, and you see Rebecca taking Jacob, and then that whole fiasco and, and the whole thing. Now, I go back to Hebrews 11, because now we're starting to see why their names are mentioned. Not a whole lot. Abraham, a whole lot of things were mentioned. But when it came to Isaac and Jacob, they didn't have a whole lot written about them. It said that they... By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So that's why you got to go back to Genesis and really see what, what actually did Isaac do after the deceit happened. Because it said he had, to, he had to bless both his boys. That's what it says. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. And I thought, hey, I, I didn't think he, Esau missed out on that. But Isaac, look, it doesn't say that he gave him a blessing that was going to be happy and wonderful. It was going to be according to the consequences of his life and of his heart condition. Because if you read this story about Esau, did you ever see any guy so belligerent and, and so, well, if you want this, and I'm going to do this. If you say to do this, I'm going to do that. I mean, you could just see Esau just had a heart. That's why so many people get so worked up when, it, when the Bible says that, you know, the, the, you know, Esau of Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated, you know. It wasn't that he just decided to hate Esau. It's just that he knows because God knows everything. He knows that Esau is just going to have a heart that is just going to be down and negative and disobedient and, and just plain not willing to listen 
to what his dad was trying to teach him. So after, even though this was done in a deceitful way, I mean, I'm telling you, you talk about grace and you talk about, and God can turn all things out for good. I mean, this is where you have to claim all those verses because, you know, you think, how can anything good come from this deceitful time of Rebecca and Jacob and Esau and all this game playing and all that? And oh, it just breaks your heart. But then Isaac, verse 39, chapter 27. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, your dwelling shall be. So here's what he blessed him with. Maybe I better start with verse 38. And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing? My father, bless me, me also. Oh, father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said, Okay, you know, this is, this is the, these are the consequences. Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above, but your sword you shall, by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother and it shall come to pass when you become restless. Then you shall break his yoke from your neck. Isaac, for chapter 28, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him. You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Again, very important. And here's his blessing. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit in the land in which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So by faith, you know what they did? What God told them. And then the story of Jacob. You know, right from the get-go, um, I know that Jacob is a patriarch, and I know he's in the line, and that. But did God have to do? Did God have to work on this guy? Oh my goodness, did he have to work on this guy? I mean, he knew that Esau was never going to choose him, but he looked at Jacob and he thought, "Oh, not much to work with." But I think that's what he thought. I think, oh, just look at this kid. But I think he saw a little element of potential. How about you? Are you grateful that he can look in our heart and say, ah, but I see one element of potential. This is what I mean about grace. Because Jacob, oh, he needed to be worked on. So Esau wanted to kill him. He has to get out of, he has to get out of town. Um, to me, this lesson shows that even though Isaac and Rebecca, yes, they made a lot of mistakes. However, they did pass the baton and they did, they did teach them of God. Now, even though Esau might have refused it, Jacob, um, you know, probably had a half a year to it, but you can't pass your faith to your children as much as you would want to. I mean, there are so many times in the years past that I just wanted so much. If I could have, I would have just taken my faith and put it into one of my boys that just didn't want anything to do with it. I wanted to do it for them. But when they get to the age of accountability, you know, and, but yet I want you to see how the Lord still was working. The Lord is always working, even with wayward children, even in, in Jacob's life right now. God never left him. 
So he puts him out, you know, Jacob needs to stop for a rest and he's going to sleep for the night. His, his, head's a, his pillow is, is a rock. He got to lay on that hard rock. And, and then he has this dream. We heard about the dream and Verse 13 of chapter um, two, of 28, and behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and God, and God of Isaac, the land of which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Does that sound like a blessing that's being continued? Do you eventually get us Jesus? Oh, aren't you grateful that he'll use sinners? But he will work on us because he's going to work on them. He says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. If we didn't have a God of grace by this time with Jacob, <laughs> but he is a God of grace. That Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I think that is a verse of salvation. I think he realized for the first time that all of a sudden, it's not just my mom and dad's God. He's my God. This was truly a difficult, uncomfortable position, but yet it came to his senses. Sometimes God has to put us in uncomfortable situations and almost bring us to the bottom of the barrel for us to finally say, oh, I guess you got my attention. And he was afraid, verse 17, and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And verse 19, look, and he called the name of that place Bethel. You got to rem you got to remember that because to me that is that is the beginning for for Jacob. This this word started. This is where salvation happens. And I pray that you have a place where you know salvation started. Now, does that mean that Jacob isn't going to make mistakes, that he is going to be perfect? No, but you've got to have a starting place, and you're going to notice that God brings him back to Bethel every now and then to say, you've got to keep going back. And to me, you know what is your Bethel? You know what my Bethel is? Sometimes he says, well, now just go back to the cross, would you? You've gone yourself so straight away. Just come to the cross and realize what happened to you there. So remember that. This is a starting place for Jacob you know the story of Jacob, and, and he goes to Laban, and he sees, he sees Rachel, and oh, man, he wants Rachel. And then you know the deceit that happened, and he gets Leah, and then he works seven more years and, and gets Rachel. He works 14 years for these two wives. I'm telling you, though, anytime there's more than one woman to one man, you're going to have trouble. And I don't care if this was culturally correct or whatever. It is not God. This was not God's will. That's why you see there's just trouble. And, and then did you notice? Did you notice? Leah was his first wife. And did you notice the son that follows the line of Jesus was from her? That's amazing to me. You know, it is really something. You can go out of God's will and you can, you know, have your fun and games and you can think, well, it's culturally correct. Everybody's doing it and all that, but God knows. He 
you know, and then, then you know, Rachel gives him her, her, her handmaiden, and Leah gives her, him her handmaiden. Man, he was a busy man, I'm telling you. It was just something. All these kids... And then you know what? Jacob might, might have known his God, but boy, all of a sudden you see um, wealth and all this start to take over. And he, it, you just, to me, the story of Jacob from Bethel to Peniel is all about the fight of self. We can be saved, and yet we still want to call the shots of our life, and we don't know what perfect submission is because we don't want any part of submitting as well. Not because, I, because it might not be what I want. And you see the story unfold of, of Jacob, and then he gets you know, all these kids and all this wealth, and, and then he wants to take off from Laban because he's been mistreated by Laban, and so he sneaks away. And he's going to meet his, he's going to meet up with his brother Esau, and he's scared to death. Now, now, is God the God of fear? This, this is how you know that Jacob is not in God's, in God's perfect will. Because even though God has never left him, but he's kind of got him on a, on a loose leash. And you see, as he's going to, he's going to meet his brother he is scared to death. And so what does he try to do in chapter 32? In chapter 32, he's going to meet up. Well, Laban comes after them, but God comes to Laban in a dream and says, don't you dare touch him. You just let him go. So now Jacob is on his way, and he is going to meet up with Esau, his brother, in chapter 32. Look at verse 8. He said, if Esau comes to do with the one company and attacks that the other company which is left will escape. Then, so Because he said, you know, half of you go this way and half of you go this way. What is he doing? He's, he's, he's planning. Do you hear him going to the Lord saying, let's see, how should I handle this, Lord? No, by this time, he is so caught up with himself, he thinks he can handle any situation, but he's scared to death, and so he's conniving, he's, he's coming up with a plan, he goes, happy you go this way, happy you this, go this way. Verse 9, then Jacob said, oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who is to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth that you have shown your servant, for I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said I will surely treat you well. All of a sudden, the, he, is, he is right before he meets Esau. It's like he's, maybe I better pray. <sighs> As a last resort. Have you ever done that? My plans just are, I'm, I'm still scared to death. I'm not, I'm not putting confidence in my plans. Oh, maybe I better pray. When should the praying be on? Long time ago. So, he, he, but he might be praying because he thinks that's his last resort, but he's still kind of con conniving. And the Lord knows it. And so in chapter 32, what does the Lord say? All right, it is time. I have had enough of this loose leash. I am going to wrestle you, boy. 
And what is the whole symbol of wrestling? Because, yeah, remember, in Bethel, Bethel was where he was saved, but then his whole life was still not perfect submission to the Lord. It was still, let's see what I can do. It was trusting himself. And the Lord finally says, and he says to you, he says to me, he said to Jacob, enough of that. I want you to surrender to me and trust me, I want your life. I've saved you, but part of the re- but the requirement is that you give yourself back to me. And so this wrestling took hold. It's where his name was changed. It's like a whole new start. And he was saying, and it's not that I believe that we have a two-part salvation. I believe that, that we're saved at Calvary. But but you know, there is that that time in our life where we come to the realization where he wants to be Lord. He wants me to surrender my life to him. He wants me to walk by faith. He wants me to trust him with my life. To stop calling the shots and be submissive and be at rest and peace because you know your Savior. You know your Father and he will never lead you to a place that's wrong. So, of course, you could take his hand and let him lead. But sometimes he's got to wrestle us because what do we think we know more than him? This whole wrestling, he had to finally, well, let me read it. It says, then Jacob was left alone in a man, capital M, wrestled with him until all the breaking of day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, that's the Lord saying, let me go for the day breaks. And then Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, no longer your name will be now Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. I think this whole thing, he is trying, God is trying to say to Jacob, to you and me, I never said life was going to be easy. And you are going to wrestle me for whose will is going to take place. And through all your wrestling, I want you to know that I'll be with you. And when I was doing this, I was going over this over and over. And the one song that just came to my mind, and it, it just, it was like, I think this is what the wrestling, when we wrestle with God's will and my will, and, and how come this happens, and, I, and, I, and I, it's not fair, and I didn't deserve, and, but I was supposed to live till 85, and, and how come my kids don't believe, and how come, I mean, you, we all have our something, and, And then I just thought, I think with this wrestle, when God wrestles with us, he wants us to get to the point where we just say, through it all, through it all, I've learned, learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned that I can depend upon his word. 
because we will wrestle. We probably have wrestled before and we will wrestle because we, that's what human nature wants. We want our own will. And God says, I want you to get to the point that you realize that you just can't do it without me. Well, the whole story, you know, you can see that even though we wrestled with God, you know, even though you might have that experience, because now he, he remembers this and he puts an altar there, and at this place it's Peniel. I think this is another big step in Jacob's life. But if you read more of the story, you will see that, you know, Jacob kind of landed in a, the wrong place in, in a town of Shechem and he stayed there too long in this pagan community and before you know it, you know, the ways of the world start to in, in, you know, you, you kind of fall into them because they're all around you and before you know it, you're acting like them too and then this whole episode with his one and only daughter Dinah and oh, what a fiasco. Did you notice when you were reading chapters 20 to 50, did you know Genesis was not only X-rated, but, you know, it, it's just uh, a never-ending novel. You, you know, it's, it just keeps you on the edge of your seat all the time. You think, what else, Jacob? What else can you do? And then when, when that all happened with Dinah and all the brothers came and defended her and killed the other people. And oh, what a mess. And then, you know what God said? Enough. Go back to Bethel. Get your life back where it's supposed to be. You have ventured off the wrong path. There's only two. And you were not walking with God. You were not walking with me. You've got off on your own. And you know what? you got to go back to the cross. At least that's, that's what my pineal is. That's what my Bethel is. When I've wrestled with God, when I've wrestled with him, and I want my will, and I want my way, God says to me, you go back to Bethel. You see whose will you should want. Well, then we know that in chapter 37, it said Israel, that's now Jacob. And, and isn't, that, isn't that kind of exciting to think now that we've moved now into this, we're now Israel. Jacob's name is turned to Israel. And we know that um, this family is now going to be led by Joseph, you know, to Egypt. And it's going to grow to millions. And then watch this baton keep being passed. So even though Jacob wasn't perfect, I go back to Hebrews 11. It said, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. So even um, after all the... All the um, the episodes of his life in, in the missteps and his now walking with God, apparently he still was a testimony. Mistakes and not. He took the baton and he carried it through the generation. To me, that's so encouraging. Because sometimes don't you look in the mirror and you think, oh, how can the Lord use me? How, I mean, I wish I'd have done this with my kids. I wish I'd have done this. And, he, and the Lord says, you know what? I can make up for what the locusts ate. You just show how you love me. And your kids are always watching. I don't care how old they are. You're still their parents and they're still watching. They're still expecting 
No. I, oh, I just thought there was so much. I could have just taken so much time with um, the, the whole Judah thing. I hope you read that too about Judah's story and how, you know, when, when they threw Joseph in the pit, it was Judah who, who wanted to not kill him. So when Reuben was gone, he snuck Joseph out and he sold him, you know. And then I think he felt so terrible guilty about that that he just took off. And if, and if, um, if you read the, the story of of the mess that Judah, I mean, he married a Canaanite woman, chapter 38. I think guilt just got to Judah so much. I think he knew what he did to his brother, even though he didn't kill him, even though he, he, didn't, he didn't let Reuben kill him, but he sold him instead. And then they, what did they do? They lied to Jacob, you know, put the blood on the coat and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think guilt just ate him away. Do you know, I think guilt is a blessing from God. I think it's a gift, even though it's so miserable, it's so awful, but yet guilt is, is a gift because what does, if you feel so bad about something, what is guilt supposed to make you do? Change, confess it, get rid of it. And there's only one place you can go, and I think he had his guilt, and he didn't, he didn't want to take it to the one place you can go to get your guilt gone. He decided to just leave the whole family, go, I'm going to marry a Canaanite woman. I'm just going to... Oh, dear. What a... But God, see, Jesus is going to come through this line. Through Judah, Jesus was going to come through this. And, and here Judah is off marrying a Canaanite woman, making a mess. And then, of course, you know, his, one of his sons marries a woman named Tamar. And then he, his sons was so wicked that God took his life. And so it's the rule that, that um, Judah gives the second son to Tamar. And then God, he was a terrible man too, so God, he, he got killed. And so then it was to be that Tamar was to have the third son. And I think Judah said, nothing doing. She's a jinx. And so Judah kept his third son from Tamar, and then, oh, you got to read chapter 38. It is unbelievable. However, what's so good about this is that chapter 38, verse 26 See, God will do it. He will take our horrible mistakes and he will finally grab us around the neck and say, you know what, I've had enough. Aren't you grateful? I am so grateful. It's probably one of the most uncomfortable and, and convicting days, and they're horrible. That's why I always say the day of our salvation should start to be one of the most horrible because we're convicted. We're challenged to see ourselves the way we really are before you can experience the best day of your life. But I think this is what happened in chapter 38. He had done, oh, man, you know, he prostitutes, you know, he has this thing with this. Tamar pretends she's a prostitute, and of course, he's in such a state of sin, he don't care, so, okay, you know, the story, you just got read it. And then, but Tamar is so clever. She's so smart because God is working. Can you imagine? It's so beautiful to watch God work in the heart of these men. You talk about grace. You talk about undeserved favor. Verse 26, so Judah acknowledged them because she had, she had them. Oh, did she ever have them? There was no way he could say, well, those aren't mine. No, no, those were yours, and he knew it. And so, but what did he find? Look at, this sounds like confession and repentance to me. 
So Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to, to Sheila, my son, and he never knew her again. That verse, no, it doesn't say a whole lot, but you know what? Judah was never the same after this verse. His heart was changed. He started walking with God. And then when you, when you read the story about um, Joseph and, and then Joseph played that little game with them about Benjamin and then, um, no, you got to bring Benjamin or um, I won't, yeah, um, you know, I won't give you grain. And when he played, when Joseph knew his brothers, and then he said, because he knew that Jacob would never let Benjamin go. And Judah went back and said to Jacob, I, I will give my life. I mean, you know, when you, when you see the progression of this story, you can't help but see once the Lord gets a hold of you, and once you've confessed and repented, you start to see how he changes your life and you are never the same. So I end tonight with, just like what, J, just like what Hebrews 11 said, it says, um, by faith, um, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, uh, the sons of Joseph, and worshipped Laney. See, when you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, they're actually the 12 sons of Jacob. But if you look at that, you will notice that in the 12 tribes, there's no Levi and there's no Joseph. And you see two other names instead. And you see the names of Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, Levi, we know, was not a tribe because they were going to be the, the priestly and prophetic tribe. So they weren't going to own any land. So that they were going to be the spiritual tribe. So they, they weren't going to be classified in the 12 tribes. But, but God chose to take the two sons of Joseph instead. And so that's why when it says, by faith... Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. This was all part of God's plan. But Jacob, you know what he wanted to be? Guess where Jacob wanted to be married, buried? When he said, when, he said when, you leave, when you leave Egypt, take my bones. Because Jacob, too, by faith, believed. He wanted to be buried by Abraham and Sarah. And you know who else, guess who else was buried there? Leah. So he wanted his bones buried there. And so then we know the, the story of Joseph, of course. And, and don't you just love the 50th chapter? Verse 20, I mean, he, you know, the brothers after Jacob died, boy, they were scared to death of Joseph, weren't they? They thought for sure, okay, dad's gone. He was the one that was keeping it all together, but now he's gone. I'm sure Joseph is going to come down and, and then Joseph says this, verse 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Oh, you talk about passing the baton. Now, did Joseph, did Joseph have it easy? No, if you read in the story of Joseph, you will notice a little phrase all the time is that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. 
Did Joseph have an easy life? No, 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 no easy life. What do you think we're supposed to be learning from these? Dear walk by faith. Dear walk with God. And you are enabled to do what you can't do for yourself. And then Joseph too, just like what Hebrews 11 said, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. And look at verse 24 of chapter 50. And Joseph said to his brother, and I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham. We go back to that. One command, eight promises. And look how the baton is being passed. And that is walking by faith. They didn't even see it. They just trusted that God did what he will do what he promised them. They just kept passing it from one generation to the next. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. Did God keep working on them? He sure did. Does that sound familiar? Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they bowed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt, and then they waited to bring his bones. See, what a story. All of Genesis was the beginning of God's unconditional love and grace to bring lost people a savior. But look what he used. But how encouraging to us that he will use us. But he wants us walking with him. He wants to make sure we know him as our personal savior. And he wants us to make sure that, that we're listening to him by his words. And he wants us to believe and commit to this. So that he can change our life. So that we can be a light in this dark world. Because this is the only hope there is. How about singing with me as we end? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found, was blind, but now I see. It is amazing, isn't it? So next week it'll be um, Moses and Joseph, Joseph, or no, Joshua. So great lesson next month. So have a good month, everybody.